0: So, this was the Great Commission. Jesus told them directly, Go into all the nations. Go, go, go and do it. Right? And the apostles obeyed. And many of them died as martyrs. Um, I, I made a quick list here because I thought it was so interesting that, that what happened. Andrew, the Apostle Andrew, he was a missionary to Georgia. Not, not Atlanta. But uh, Georgia over near Russia, near the Black Sea. And, in, and Bulgaria, he was martyred in Greece. Bartholomew, where did he go? India. India we don't talk about that very much, but he, Jesus' own disciple went to India and ministered there, preached the gospel. He was martyred in Armenia. James, the son of Alphaeus, he stayed in Jerusalem and led there, and he was martyred in Jerusalem. Uh, another James, John's brother, was martyred by Herod in Judea. That's recorded in Acts. Many of these things are recorded by some of the church fathers after Scripture so we, we don't consider these facts as in the same sense from Scripture, but we, we, believe, we believe that they're true from uh, historical writings. But we know that James was killed by Herod because Scripture tells us that directly. John was exiled on Patmos, and we believe that he died of old age, did not die a martyr's death, died in Ephesus probably. Um, Matthew, missionary to Iran. Um, probably a dangerous time there, and it's a dangerous time today. Uh, Peter Peter went to Turkey to Italy and he ended up martyred in Rome hung up upside down on a cross Philip went to Turkey and was martyred there Simon the Zealot not Simon Peter but Simon the Zealot he led the church in Jerusalem after James got killed and he died of old age Thaddeus went to Iraq Syria Turkey Iran and he died of old age also if it's believed Thomas the doubter I love Thomas Where did he go? He went to Iran, Afghanistan, and India. And he was martyred in India. Matthias, the one who in Acts replaced Judas as the 12th disciple. What happened to Matthias? He stayed in Jerusalem also and ministered there. He died of old age. Paul then, as one untimely born, we know that he traveled all over. Went to Greece. Went to Croatia. He went to Italy. We know he was killed in Rome by Nero, and and he mentions in one of his letters that he hopes to go to Spain, and we don't don't have that recorded in Scripture, but elsewhere in other documents suggest that he actually did make it to Spain. So so we believe that Paul went all over Southern Europe and and, uh, Western Asia, preaching the gospel and building the church. Um, So these people, many of whom died martyrs' deaths, they they followed the Great Commission directly and literally that Jesus commanded. And the church grew by this commission. Future generations after these apostles, we know that even in Europe and Britain, we see evidence of Christianity in the first century. It, it spread quickly, even in Britain. And, and that was a long haul. From, from Israel to Britain in the first century was a big, that was a long trip. But there it is. People were taking the gospel up there. And I was talking to Rachel a little bit, my daughter Rachel, um, about this message and how should to approach it and stuff. And she said, You know, when I hear the Great Commission, because she got to go to Israel a few times over the last couple of years, and, and she said, It's so interesting. When we're here and we think of, you know, Judea, Jerusalem and Judea and the ends of the earth, we're thinking kind of almost maybe metaphorically sometimes. And we think, Well, our Jerusalem is Murfreesboro. And she, she said, But when you're in Jerusalem, your Jerusalem's Jerusalem. And Murfreesboro is the ends of the earth. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool actually that this this gospel, this commission has spread to the ends of the earth, right here in Murfreesboro. And here we are in the ends of the earth. Us Gentiles who wouldn't know how to do any of these Jewish traditions, well Ronna could teach us how to do a couple of them. <laughs> through the through the Savior, right? But uh, but we don't we really would we'd be lost trying to trying to be Jews. But we here in the ends of the earth, us Gentiles, have been brought near through this great commission. And today missionaries that we support from IMB and other organizations, they're directly going through this cooperation that we have together. And we should support that. And sometimes we should go. And we we can uh, easily think that, we can think of a, a missionaries as being an American phenomenon, but Guys, we, we should not be arrogant about that. We didn't start missionary work and we're not going to finish it. There are missionaries even today from South Korea that go, go out to the world to minister to people. There, there are missionaries from Africa coming here because they see how lost we are. So and we should thank God for that because he is faithful and he calls people all over the place. And he calls us. So today's our golden offering. It's, an, it's a direct opportunity for us to participate in this mission. And it would be crazy for me not to mention that. Um, that our mission is this church right now, we, we don't have a scope as wide as all of Tennessee. We have a scope about as wide as Blackman and Murfreesboro. That is our focus. So we need to be reaching out to our neighbors. We need to be inviting them. We need to be telling them about the gospel. And I would challenge this. Let's, let's do that. Second way that the church went global... By persecution, and I'll read this quick passage from Acts. This is right after the stoning of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now Acts records this first persecution, this direct persecution of Christians in Jerusalem. And what does it say? Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's great. Persecution drove the growth of the church. It doesn't say that those who were persecuted, those who were scattered, hunkered down and hid. They left because they didn't want to get directly killed, but they didn't quit, they didn't quit preaching. And God, God saw to it that they bore fruit in that. Now Jesus predicted this persecution. He said the world is going to hate you. The world hates me. So if you're with me, if you love me, the world's going to hate you. Expect it. Don't be surprised when it happens. You should expect it. And so we, don't, we, we shouldn't be surprised. Although I feel like in our country we, we've had, we've had a many, many decades of peace that we've come to expect it. But I think God's waking us up and saying, you know what? The world hates me. And if you're with me, the world's going to hate you too. Now Rome persecuted the early church severely. It grew stronger under the persecution. It's amazing to go and, and, and read some of the stories of things that happened to, of uh, Roman soldiers who witnessing martyrs die courageous deaths, converted themselves because of the, the powerful witness, the courage that it took and the clear belief that if someone can stand there and say, you know what, Rome, you can kill me, but that's all you can do. So knock yourself out because that kind of faith is powerful. And it spoke to people and conversions happened. God used that to build His church. These martyrs, these witnesses. Persecution continues today. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but we know about it. Romania, China, Cuba, those are good examples of the church under persecution growing and thriving in depth and breadth. And we see the church under strong persecution in many areas of the world today. And struggling somewhere, struggling in some places. But God's will will win out. So we don't be surprised at persecution. We can't be surprised. But when it comes, we got to ask God to use it for His glory. Use us for His glory. Ask Him to give us strength to be faithful and to respond in love and not hate. Third, going global by division. Believe me, this one was was tough to try to talk about and think about. But I think it's real and I want to share a few thoughts with you. So Kevin preached uh, two weeks ago, I think, about the Jerusalem Council. When we we had this horrible controversy about circumcision and how do you be a Christian and do you have to be a Jew first and all that stuff. They had then a council in Jerusalem where they all got together and hashed it out. And it was a hard, hard meeting. But in the end... They all agreed, and they were all in harmony, that no, we don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. And we agreed on that big, big, big thing. They agreed. The church settled it. And what happened immediately after that? Like really immediately after this display of harmony and, and good doctrine, what happened? From Acts 15, 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia Strengthening the churches. Now we've preached on this uh, recently, so I'm not gonna get into it too much. But clearly what's happening is after after unity and harmony and coming together over doctrine and the truth of God, <clears throat> immediately these two men have, have found themselves in a sharp sharp disagreement. And the, the end result was they, they couldn't work it out. And uh, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul with Silas went to Syria and Cilicia. It went two different directions. Now what I'm not saying here is that um, God directed them to disagree and be stubborn with each other. I'm not saying that because I don't think that the word tells us that. But they didn't agree, okay? But what God did is redeemed it. He took a disagreement... He took, he took two brothers that just couldn't get along, could not come to an agreement on that, and he decided to redeem it. Both men went on... Now we have what was one missionary trip. It would have been a cool one. Four guys or three, depending on who won the argument. But it would have been a really good team. But now we got two teams. Now we've got two sets of churches, two places, two, two groups of cities, two tours, two routes that are going to be touched by the Gospel. I think, I think if Paul or Barnabas had tried to get too spiritual about it, they would have been in dangerous ground. But we, in hindsight, we can look at it and say, God used it. God used it. Probably in spite of them and not because of them. <laughs> so, they both went. They ministered. And... Uh, the beautiful thing that I love about the end of this story, because it's not an Acts, but, but later Paul writes in one of his later letters, please send John Mark to me. He's been very useful to me. So we know there was reconciliation. So what, what was a sharp disagreement became love. And that, that's beautiful. Um, another quick example, because it's just a small topic. Of division is Reformation. <laughs> um, so for the next two hours, I'm going to go over uh, a few brief points about the Reformation. Um, but the Reformation essentially was a division over, over points of doctrine and agreeing about what authority should look like in the church and all manner of things that is really way beyond, um, way beyond my time limit today. But there are two, two major things at work here. Um, there was a return to the authority of Scripture that came about because of the Recom- uh, Reformation. And there was an emphasis, a new, a new emphasis on the priesthood of the believer. And these things led to a lot of disagreement about interpretations of Scriptures. And there's just no getting around it. These disagreements then led to denominations. And there are some people who say. De- denominations is divisiveness and it's wrong and it should not happen in God's church. But I would, I would be careful. I wouldn't say it quite that strongly. Because one thing about denominations is that it allows people to, to fully accept the doctrine and to fully embrace the doctrine. And as long as those denominations aren't heretical, if their differences are on secondary and tertiary items, I say it's okay. Because it allows people to worship together in harmony where before, you had one church and one pope saying this is the truth, but no one really completely bought in. And so they would accept his authority, but they didn't really understand what they were accepting. And because they, didn't, they weren't challenged to actually wrestle with the truth themselves, they weren't really owning it. Now, Catholics might disagree with me, but I think ultimately that's a good thing. And, and because people could embrace these truths and own them themselves, they spread with passion. Not, not only duty, but with passion, because they believe, I've got truth. Let me tell you about the truth that I know. So this is, this is a way that God used division to spread His gospel, to grow the church. And uh, The fourth thing, and I'm not going to talk long about this because it's really difficult, but church splits... Those happen. And sometimes they're not about doctrine. Sometimes they're not about anything pure at all. The joke is always about the color of the carpet, right? And, and often God even redeems those situations. Because if you were to look around any town, this town included, and find out which, which of these churches came from a church split that wasn't very nice. It's a lot. And yet somehow God still uses these churches to do good work. And it's remarkable And again, it's His grace. It's His redemption of our sin. It is not because of some glorious purpose that the dividers have. Often they're stubborn. But but God uses them anyway. God God redeems. He fixes. So, So when we look at this, who gets the credit for that? The dividers of these churches? No. God gets the credit. He's the one that redeems messes that we make who shows His strength in our weakness and His righteousness and mercy over and above our sin. So pray for peace and disagreement when you see it. Pray for reconciliation. Pray for healing. But don't neglect to focus on purpose, God's truth and God's mission that He's given to us. Finally, our fourth point. It's like bonus and there's no extra charge for the fourth point. Is uh that God grows the church by reconciliation. He actually founded the church by reconciliation. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul teaches that that Jesus himself has come to bring ultimate reconciliation. He's speaking of reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles here. I'll read from Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's a lot going on there. But imagine that Jesus is taking... God and man in one, in one person, Jesus himself, and allowing himself to be killed. And he's saying that the killing of this man, this God-man, also kills the hostility. Wow. That's deep. That's really deep. I'm, I cannot do it justice. But I wanted to soak in with you. Because Jesus' death is the death of hostility between God and man. So through his sacrifice, Jesus was reconciling humanity to God. He's reconciling Jews to Gentiles, which is the relevant topic of his letter right here. But he's reconciling all races together. We have no longer any reason to have strife between races. If we are in Jesus, we're together. And he's reconciling individuals one to another. So when dying on the cross, Jesus demonstrated this truth. That God loves us so much that rather than hold our sin over us, rather than remain eternally offended at our rebellion, our lack of respect for him, our lack of love for him, our faithlessness, our greed, violence, and selfishness, he chose to pay for it on our behalf. He didn't ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. He actually paid for it. He actually took care of it. And it cost him as much as it could possibly cost his own son, right? I was listening to a sermon that, that Rodney sent me. Um, be careful if Rodney sends you a sermon. Uh, just saying, um, it hit me right between the eyes this week. <clears throat> but, but the pastor in that, in that message said a really cool thing. He said, we are never, we are never more like God then we decide. Well, then when we decide not to hold someone else accountable for their own sin and their own offense against us, and I thought, oh my, we're never more like God than when we choose to not hold someone else accountable for their own sin, because that's what Jesus did. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The, it's not that he ignored the sin and just said, no, it's not not a big deal. I'm okay. He said, No, this is a big deal. Somebody's got to pay. But you can't afford it. So I'll pay. This is the kind of God we worship one who puts relationship above offense, who commands us to be like him and do justice but love mercy.